0: Money is one of those taboo topics that many cultures are hesitant to talk about. But why is that? Why do we feel uncomfortable discussing something that is such an integral part of our lives? By understanding the cultural beliefs around money, we can learn to better manage our finances and build stronger financial futures. So let's explore some of the different cultural attitudes towards money and see what we can learn from them. In this episode, I chatted with financial coach and mentor Wally Miller, and we talk about the cultural beliefs in her life around money. As a woman of color with little financial knowledge, she embarked on a journey to educate herself about how to buy back her time and experience financial freedom. Along the way, she noticed that the finance industry was an echo chamber and lacked diversity. She felt compelled to change that. When I was young and learning about money, I wasn't. Nobody was out there giving me the information or the tools to succeed financially. For some quick financial tips, follow us on Instagram at Money You Should Ask honestly, if you don't, I'm going to have to fire my social media manager, and he really needs this job. I'm Bob Wheeler, and this is Money You Should Ask, where we explore why we do what we do when it comes to money. Wally Miller is a financial coach who teaches women how to take control of their finances and secure financial independence through balanced spending, saving, and wealth building without deprivation. The founder of Financially Thriving Money Coaching, Wally didn't always understand money or building wealth. Wally is a first-generation college graduate, Latina, and the daughter of an immigrant. Born and raised in the Bronx, she's the first millionaire in her family, and now she will be work-optional by age 40. Wally lives in New York City with her husband and blue-eyed French bulldog named Casper. Wally, it's such a pleasure to have you on the show. I'm really excited to get this conversation going. So I'm just going to jump right in. You are a money coach.
1: Yes, I am.
0: What role do you play in people's lives as a money coach?
1: Well, first, I will say that it took a while to get here because I wasn't always good with money. I stood really in the personal finance space as a freelance writer, I got really interested in personal finances as I was sort of transforming my own sort of economic mess that I had made. And as I was making changes and getting really inspired and learning some really great things, I really wanted to have a voice and share my experiences and teach people through my writing. And so I became a freelance writer. Then I started this blog and one of the interesting things that happened is that people would email me and ask if I did like consultations. And at that point I did not. And I was just like, no, I don't. But, you know, here's some resources, here's some books and podcasts and YouTube channels that I really enjoy. But, you know, during the pandemic, there were a lot of people who were hurting and a lot of people who wanted that one-on-one and wanted to figure out what to do, what their options were. Then I discovered this term financial coaching And that was when I decided to offer it. And it's been a great couple of years.
0: Okay. Now you describe yourself as a money nerd. Like how long has that been going on? Has this been like since an early age?
1: I would say that I've always had sort of a list of my expenses and my income. I thought I was always good with money. You know, I would watch like Susie Orman retirement specials for fun. Although I didn't always understand everything and I didn't know how it related to me, I was always interested in it. I will say once I began on my financial wellness journey, on my investment journey, on my FIRE journey, if people are familiar with that term, which simply Mm -hmm. stands for financial independence, retiring early. Once I started there, that's when I really sort of went down the rabbit hole and really became a money nerd for sure. And do you think
0: the interest in money, it was because money was so easy in your family and you just were so comfortable with it? It just was something that came so naturally to
1: you? Oh, I wish that was the case, but it (laughs) definitely was not. So a little bit about my background, I am born and raised in New York City and actually raised in the poorest borough in New York City, which is the Bronx, right? I come from a Latino household. My mother's Puerto Rican. My father's Ecuadorian. And we didn't really have conversations around money, especially money was something that was an adult topic. And if adults are talking, the children need to be quiet and not ask questions. So we didn't really have conversations around money, but I did learn from an early age. I picked up some feelings around money, for example, that there wasn't a lot of it. And if I learned not to ask for things because I just knew that the answer was going to be no, or the answer was going to be like, we don't have money for that, little things would happen. I definitely wouldn't say that I grew up in poverty, but we were a low income Household. So while kids got 16 presents underneath the tree for Christmas, it was not so much the case. And I was also one of five kids. I was the oldest of one of five kids. So the conversations around money really didn't happen. What I observed around money, the feelings, you know, sort of the behaviors that I observed, really left an impact on me. And sort of shaped my relationship with money, as you well know. Mm -hmm. Like so much of what we learn isn't about the direct knowledge that we're given, but it's the indirect sort of feelings and experiences that really shape us. And that was kind of what happened. So I grew up sort of my whole thing was if I have enough money to like always have cable, (laughs) you know, rather than the cable being turned off or worrying about the lights being turned off. If I could just get that and always have gas in the car, like that would really be great, or have my metro card or have enough money for the train or bus, that would mean that I made it, so that was kind of where my financial story started, mm-hmm. and then you know, where it kind of changed for me is I was really lucky to get a really well paying job in my mid twenties mm-hmm. One would say, "Wow, okay, that's fantastic but What do you do with the rest that was left over? So in my mind, I was good with money in that I didn't have credit card debt. I did have a car note and I had some student loans, but I always paid my bills on time. I had enough money to eat out and to spend on fun things, but I didn't know what to do with the rest. So I just spent it. (laughs) And in my mind, I was good with money, but really... It wasn't until later I realized, okay, there's a piece of the puzzle that I'm missing.
0: So I have a question I'm really interested in. You said you got really lucky Mm
1: -hmm. in
0: getting a high paying job. Mm. Was it you were really lucky because you weren't qualified? Was it really lucky because you're a woman of color? Was it really lucky because you actually deserved the job? Like, Can you tell me a little bit about this piece of, I got really lucky?
1: Okay. So now the financial coach is getting coached here (laughs) here, because language (laughs) and the words we use is really, really important. There were a lot of things that happened that I was really at the right place at the right time. Right. I was introduced to the right people or I met the right people at the right, you know, so. Right. There was a lot of things that fell into place. Now, that is not to say that I knew that education was going to be the key for me to sort of make it, whatever that meant at that time to me. Mm -hmm. Like me making it was, again, paying my bills and being able to have gas in the car and never having to worry about my cable being shut off. like. That's what that meant for me. So I knew education was huge, was a key component of me making it. And so I focused a lot on education, but I also, again, was one of five children. Neither one of my parents graduated from high school. And so there were a lot of things that I had to do on my own that I think some people don't realize sort of the institutional knowledge that they might have from their parents and family members' experiences, right? Right. So I was 16, 17 years old trying to figure out how to get into college. I couldn't ask a family member. I couldn't ask my parents or even filling out the financial aid form. Like if you've ever looked at a FAFSA form, (laughs) so imagine- Forget it. Exactly. Imagine (laughs) a 16, 17 year old Child trying to figure out what is a tax return and where do I get one and what is line XYZ, whatever the case might be. So there were a lot of things I sort of observed what other classmates were doing Mm -hmm. and sort of just had my ear like paying attention to see what they were doing because I didn't know some of those things. As I went through college, again, I really wanted to make sure that I focused on my school, but I had to make money too. So I had to sacrifice some of my grades in order to work a full time job. Right. Or a couple of part-time jobs in order to do that. But and then I met like a guidance counselor at the career center at my college and told him what my interests were. And when he had a job opening that came in, he called me and let me know. So that's why I say there were certain things that happened that gave me sort of a little bit of a leg up. Of course, hard work is really important, but I can't deny that there were definitely some things that happened (laughs) in order to get me to where I am, yeah.
0: No, that's awesome. And would you say, because your parents didn't graduate high school, I don't know if they were cheerleading you on to, like, you must go to college because that may have been out of their budget or it may have been out of, just out of their possibility realm. Did your siblings follow in your footsteps? Did your siblings have the same, yes, we want to get a leg up and we're willing to do the hard work? Or was everybody pinning their hopes on you? You're the oldest
1: daughter. Mm. Wally's got to take us all to the finish line. We didn't talk about college or my plans for after school, you know, like what's going to happen once you graduate. I just knew in my mind and what I had seen and what had sort of been portrayed was that education was key. I will say my vision of college today is very different. I am so much more open to the idea and also want to foster the passion for entrepreneurship and like make sure that kids know that education or four-year colleges isn't the only way there's trade schools, right. there's self-education, there's entrepreneurship, there's so many different avenues. But at that point, I only knew education. Right, Get a college degree and that is going to be your path out, right? Sure. So it wasn't that my parents discouraged me or encouraged me to go to college. I don't think there was ever really a thought about what would happen, but it was something that I wanted for myself. Now, the question as to what did everybody else do, okay, so I'm, again, the oldest child of five. So once I graduated from high school, let's just start there. I think I set the standard that high school, everybody's needs to graduate from high school. We got to get there. (laughs) Right, exactly. (laughs) And then once I graduated from high school, it was like, go to college. And so not all of my siblings decided to go to school post high school, or actually I should say to a four-year college, because some of them did go to trade schools and things like that. But I think it did sort of change the atmosphere and it changed the story of what our family was going to be doing, right? It always takes that first person Mm -hmm. to expose the people around you, and in my case, my family, to what was possible. So even just the fact that I was the first person to graduate from high school set the standard for the rest of my siblings.
0: That's pretty amazing. I mean, that's a big milestone.
1: Yeah. And I think it's one of those things where sometimes it can be underestimated the value of like seeing someone before you succeed, right? Yeah. Or even seeing someone before you fail. Because it can go one of both ways. If you see someone before you maybe not make it, you're either going to say, I'm going to be the one to make it. Or you say, if they didn't make it, neither can I, right? right? So it's one of those things where it's just like, you never know. But I think setting that example, having people around you who look like you, who sounds like you, who have similar backgrounds is really, really important. And, you know, we can talk about representation, right? Yeah. Even when when I was on my financial journey, I remember listening to people's story and not necessarily connecting with the advice because a lot of the advice was for people with debt, for example, or who were stuck in credit card debt. So in my mind, I was like, okay, I don't have credit card debt, so I'm good. And it wasn't until I sort of took it to the next level. And then the next level was, okay, building savings, building wealth. I couldn't even relate to that term wealth. For me, wealth meant those actors who had million-dollar contracts or singers or artists or athletes. I never thought that that was even a possibility for me because I didn't see anyone who just had a nine-to-five be wealthy.
0: Yeah. And believe it or not, there are a lot of nine to fivers that are very wealthy. They're just real quiet about it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. Do you think like if you sit and think back about your accomplishments, the wealth you've accumulated, finishing college, setting these benchmarks, have you taken in the magnitude of the change that you've made for your whole family? and for your community and people that look and sound like you, that you've actually moved the needle?
1: Yeah, it's really interesting because I learned about financial independence and the whole FIRE movement a few years ago. It was probably in 2015, 2016. And don't get me wrong, there are some really great podcasts and blogs and books and YouTube channels, even back then. Now, there's many more today. But back then, the people who were the loudest voices, the people who I was introduced to and really changed my life, generally were male, generally were white, and probably were in some sort of tech field or engineer or something like that, right? Yeah. So I still learned from them. And it, again, changed my life. I learned so much. But I thought it was important, which was why I decided to start the blog and why I started to write for sites like clever girl finance because i thought it was really important to show that it wasn't just one segment of the population that could achieve it yeah. that fire didn't just look like one type of person that first you could be a woman second that you could be a person of color third that you didn't have to come from money that it didn't matter if you didn't learn how to balance a checkbook save money or even invest from your parents, right, Mm -hmm. that this is something that you could do. And today I will say I could list off probably a dozen or more people who are people of color, who are women of color, who are now talking about finances. But back then there wasn't a whole lot. And I think whether it's a profession or a goal, sometimes it can feel like that's only set aside or available to a certain segment of the population. Mm -hmm. And this is, again, why I say like setting that example, sharing our stories, And of course, your platform of just like listening to how different people achieve their financial goals and what their money stories are is super important because the more stories, the differences that we can hear, someone will relate to it. And I think that is what it's important. Yeah. I have a question
0: that when you told me you decided I'm going to be a money coach, this is it. Either your voice or people around you, was there ever the, who are you? Mm. who are you to go out and be this person, right? Who are you? You didn't grow up with money. You're a person of color. You're a woman. You grew up in a poor neighborhood. Like, who are you?
1: Mm. Yeah.
0: And I'm wondering if that came up personally and if people around you, and how did you push through that? Because I would
1: imagine a lot of that came through. I think it was a combination of a couple different things. First, I will say that even though I'm an introvert, I'm confident And I'm not shy. And I think as I started learning more about personal finances, particularly the investing piece, because I think it doesn't matter where in the planet you live, everyone knows that you're supposed to save for a rainy day, right? Mm -hmm. You harvest during the tough seasons, right? (laughs) Exactly. Everybody knows that. Mm -hmm. But I think one of the pieces that I was missing and that seemed very foreign and unavailable to me was that investing piece. So I'm gonna talk a little bit about the investing side. I mentioned earlier that I didn't really connect with the term wealth or being wealthy. And it wasn't until I started to really dig deep into what being wealthy meant to me because I defined it as rich. I defined it as the fancy cars, the big houses. And there's a difference between being a millionaire and wanting to spend a million dollars. Right. Yeah. And that was sort of like the first thing that I had to realize, like, did I want to spend a million dollars or was I really searching for going beyond just like that financial survival? Right. Yeah. To be financially thriving. I wanted to go beyond financially surviving to financially thrive. And so when I sort of learned that investing didn't have to be so complicated and that there are nine to five millionaires, that there are 401k millionaires, I needed to learn how did people get there? What steps did they take in order to achieve that? So that was sort of like one piece, like I was just curious and I was hungry, but I didn't necessarily believe that still it was possible for me, <laughs> but, <Right. laughs> but I was like, okay, I'm going to learn because no matter what, even if I don't reach X number, I will be better off than where I am today. So that's like the first piece. The second thing is you asked whether or not there were people, when I started with the financial coaching who thought, well, you didn't always get it right. Actually, I was a big spender, right? I mentioned (laughs) I paid all my bills, but I spent every dollar that I had. And it wasn't until I received back in the day, back in the day, a a few years ago, the Social Security Administration, what they would do, I think, is after 10 years of working, they send you that statement and show you what all your earnings are, your lifetime earnings. That was my aha moment. When I received that, I was like, I don't know, maybe 27 or 28 years old. And it showed my 10 years of work history. And I added up the amount of money that I had made throughout my whole life, like my job at Burger King to my job through college, through now the job that I currently had. And I added up the amount of money that I made. And I realized I had nothing to show for it. Sure, I didn't have credit card debt, but not having credit card debt, with such a low barrier to entry. Like, what does that mean? And so it was at that moment that I realized that I needed to do something different. But I also didn't appreciate or I didn't connect with like the ultra frugality. I was like, I didn't want to sacrifice Being able to go out to eat or vacationing or whatever the case, you know, spending on the things that I valued and the things that I brought joy in order to sacrifice my way into being wealthy. So I wanted to find, was there a balance? Was there a way to also spend money on the things that you truly enjoy, the things that you truly value while also saving and investing for the future and building wealth? And when I realized that there was a way to do both, that was where I fit in. Because the personal finance advice of, okay, you're bad with money if you have credit card debt and everybody else is good, I couldn't relate to. I was like, okay, well, I'm good with money. Like I couldn't really right. absorb that information. Right. But and then I couldn't agree or I didn't connect with, okay, you could be a millionaire just quite yet. But I was like, okay. There's like this middle portion here where it's like I could live a good life now figure out what is truly important to me, spend money on that, and then the rest I can use to build wealth. That was what changed my life.
0: (laughs) And so what would you say to people that are sitting there hearing your story saying, okay, yeah, I don't have a lot of credit card debt. I'm not making a lot of money. What are the steps I need to take to start walking me to an early retirement so that I can wrap it up or I can have passive income? What are some baby steps that, can move me in that direction? Because a lot of people will sit there and go, well, no, I'm gonna wait for that big bonus. Oh, I'm gonna wait till I get this other job. Or as soon as Christmas is over, right? And then those things never happen.
1: Yeah, so I love this whole idea of paying yourself first. I think one of the things that also sort of helped me really get motivated to find my freedom is what I call it. Being able to work towards financial independence was realizing that if I continued to live the way that I was living, which was okay, yeah, paying my bills, but and then spending every dollar that I had, that I was going to have to work forever to be able to do that. I was going to always have to work in order to pay my bills and in order to spend the amount of money that I had. And although I had a career that I really enjoyed and felt passionate about, I didn't like certain aspects. For example, having to ask for vacation time or only having a certain amount of vacation time available to me. Mm And so I remember we also went through sort of a change in leadership and it didn't dawn on me how important (laughs) the leadership of the company or the organization was. I didn't appreciate how good I had it until it was a bad one. And I realized, okay, well, I could just switch jobs. I could go to a different organization or to a different company. But, and then I thought, well, what if it happens there too? And so when I discovered financial independence, I realized that there was a way for me to fund my financial independence, my financial freedom, that I could buy back my time. Because even though I enjoyed my job and I felt really fulfilled in the work that I did, I couldn't imagine doing the same thing until I was 50, 60, or 70 years old. And it was at that point that I could say, okay, Let me figure out what is that point that I'm missing. And so, yes, understanding truly what your income is, understanding what your expenses are and the difference between what you have left over after you have your essential expenses. Then you can start designing the life that you want. And also using that money to be able to, setting money aside so that you can fund those future goals. And some of those future goals could be short-term, perhaps in six months, buying a vacation, perhaps in two years, buying a home. But I also wanted to, was there a way for me to guarantee that I could retire at the age of 60? And then I said, could I do that at the age of 55? Could I do that at the age of 50? And as I played around with the numbers, I realized, okay, saving money is good for those short-term goals, but I really need to begin investing in order to build wealth and in order to shorten (laughs) the number of years that I had to work. And I like the term work optional, right? Because the goal for me isn't to sit on a beach and not do anything. right? The goal for me is to be able to have control of my time. The goal for me is to be able to choose the projects that I want to work on, the goal for me is to be able to choose when I work and when I don't work. But learning that investing piece was really important because as I started to build wealth for myself, I then realized, wait a minute, can I now build wealth for others in my family? Mm -hmm. And so it's like, hold on a second. Maybe I can start investing for the nieces and nephews in my life. Maybe I can start investing in a way so that when my parents are ready to retire, I don't know if it'll cover their whole retirement, but I can help them because they may not have enough for a retirement that would be comfortable, for example.
0: Yeah, and did you experience any guilt around like, I've got all this wealth. The rest of my family didn't get the memo. They didn't get the lucky breaks. They didn't get the opportunity to work as hard. Maybe I need to just actually take all that extra money and hand it out to everybody else because it's not really fair.
1: Yeah, it wasn't the wealth. It was the income. Ah. And so for me, I mentioned that early on, I was in my mid-20s. I was able to negotiate a salary. (laughs) And really, it was because I had learned that you just negotiate for everything. You negotiate for a car bill or an invoice. You negotiate for internet expenses, cell phone. And so I just negotiated my salary and was able to start off. Well, when I switched jobs, I doubled my salary. So I started off at already a pretty good salary. And as that slowly increased, I remember I was about to go from making about $94,000 a year to making 100000 Now the difference between 94000 and and $100,000 <laughs> is $6,000 is not a lot, right? <laughs> not a lot. I lived in California actually when that happened. So that basically was going to go in taxes. Yeah. But there was something about being a six-figure earner That really, it was something that I kind of wrestled with. And a lot of people don't understand like why I would feel guilty or shouldn't you be happy? But there was something about earning six figures that made me feel guilty. There was a part of like, but wait a minute, I enjoy my job, I'm having a good time, it's not miserable. There was that part, like how could you enjoy your job and make that amount of money? There was also a part of me that thought, My parents have never made six figures, right? This is more money than they've made ever. And here I am. I was single, no children, no husband, you know. I was making that amount of money. And that was where some of that guilt came from. I thought maybe people would think that I was unrelatable, because now I was the other. This was also during the time where there was a lot of talk about the one percent, and yeah. I was like, am I a one percenter? <laughs> you know, <laughs> <laughs> Do I fall into that category, and of course, I did not. But you know, there was just a lot of shame. There was a lot of shaming about who the wealthy were, and I will say, I did not consider myself wealthy at that time, and I wasn't, right. even though I was earning about to earn six figures, again, I was spending every dollar that I had. So I was not by any means wealthy, but the wealth guilt came from the income. And once I was about to cross that line into the six-figure mark, that was when rather than being excited about it, I remember feeling heavy. I remember feeling guilty. I remember feeling, it wasn't necessarily shame, but it was just, there were a lot of questions like, do I deserve this?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think maybe the answer would be yes, if we.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I wish it was that simple, right? Yeah. My mindset, there was a lot of sort of thought work that I had to do to try to figure out, first of all, why did I feel the way that I did? And I think particularly if you come from a lower income family, if you come from a lower income household, of course you want to make it, of course you want to, Get off the struggle bus. But, you know, when I think back on it now, I think it was just sort of thinking about the amount of money that you make isn't based on how hard you work because my parents were really hardworking. Right. My dad worked six days a week his whole life, 12 hour days. So it wasn't equated to how hard you work. But, you know, sort of sitting with that and coming to understand that things sometimes aren't fair. Yeah. You know, it's not how hard you work doesn't reflect, isn't always reflected by the amount of money that you make. So just kind of coming to terms with that. But I also realized, and I had to really say to myself, like, you do deserve this. You worked hard for this money and you can do good with it. And I think you sort of repeating that to myself that just because I was making X amount of money did not mean that I was going to become greedy or that I was going to be selfish, I could do good with money. And of course, it took me a couple years (laughs) later, because unfortunately, I can't say that that changed the way I spend money. But it really helped me saying that line, which was, I could do good with money, I could make a difference with money, really helped me come to an acceptance. And then once I did get my financial things in order, Once I finally, I was like, wow, now I'm in a place where I could really accept the money that's coming to me because I know that this is not only going to change my life, but it's going to change the whole family lineage, right? Yeah. Imagine the next generation not having to take out student loans or not as many student loans or being able to help a sibling or a niece or nephew start their own business. That was when that shift really happened for me.
0: That's so awesome. That is so awesome.
1: Well, Wally, we are at our fast five.
0: The fast five is brought to you by Acorns, where you can invest, spare change, bank smarter, save for retirement, and so much more. For more information, you can check on the links in the show note. All right, Wally. So we're just going to go down and dirty. What do you think your husband would say you spend too much money on?
1: Ooh, my husband. See, probably he would say I spend too much money on handbags. <laughs> Probably handbags. And it's not because now I buy a lot of handbags, but the type of handbags that I buy tend to be a little bit more expensive. So Mm. he doesn't get it.
0: (laughs) Now, would he be right or is he wrong?
1: (laughs) No, for 100%. I don't think it's too much money because I think when you know what your goals are and Mm -hmm. you can spend freely on the things that bring you joy and the things that you enjoy, as long as you're reaching your financial goals. And that's kind of what I say to him and even to my clients. No one can decide what you spend, what's important to you. Only you can decide that as long as it's not gonna derail you from your plan.
0: I love that. I love that. Do you and your husband talk about money regularly and do you share the same values?
1: I think this is really important. The answer is yes. I think that when you have a spouse where your goals are aligned I will say I'm definitely more of the spender. My husband is a little bit more frugal for sure, but because we have the same goals and we know the goals for our lives and our financial goals and things that we want to accomplish, it just makes it so much easier.
0: Yeah, absolutely. In three words, describe how financial independence feels.
1: Liberating, secure, and it feels good.
0: (laughs) Nice, feels good. What was the first time that you felt like you were truly financially thriving? Like when did you say, "Oh, my I'm on the path."
1: So we have reached some great financial milestones in the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. But I remember when our investments hit the first 500,000, it really made me feel good. Like it made me feel better than when we hit 600 or 700 or 800, 000. like mm-hmm. the first 500,000 because I knew that there was no stopping us, right? Yeah. Maybe there might be some delays because of the market or maybe we decided to invest a little bit less, but I knew that there was no stopping us. And the feeling of knowing that I could design the life that I wanted, spend money, yes, on those things that we have to spend money on, like a roof over our head and keeping the lights on, but also spending money on the things that bring us joy, like traveling and seeing our families and eating out and experiencing the city. But also knowing that we were preparing for the future. I think when we hit that $500,000, I was like, wow, we're good.
0: We're good, we're good. What is one easy way to save money that people miss a lot?
1: Negotiating. I love that. Negotiate everything. Just recently, I think it was actually was in July, my car insurance was about to or it's going to be up for renewal in September. So I gave them a call and I do this every year. I always ask if there's any discounts that I'm missing out on, if there's anything that I could take advantage of. And just a simple call that took me maybe 10 or 15 minutes. Save me $150. Calling your cell phone company and trying to figure out, you know, are there any promotions that exist that you're not taking advantage of? Could you do that? Negotiating your salary, negotiate everything. Love it. I think it's like the easiest thing.
0: That's awesome. So we are at our m M&M and moment, our sweet spot, money and motivation. Do you have a practical financial tip or a piece of wealth wisdom you could share with our listeners, something that's worked for you?
1: I will say automating. When I first started on my financial journey, I did things with pen and paper and an Excel spreadsheet. As I became more comfortable and built some muscle, I was able to just automate my savings so I don't have to think about it, automate my investing so I don't have to think about, automate my bill pay so I don't have to think about it. And then I know that everything that needs to be taken care of is taken care of so then I can enjoy the rest.
0: That's awesome. That's great advice. I love automated savings. I talk about that a lot for my own personal getting out of my own way,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: having to trick myself by just saving money. So I think that's so important. Well, you know, I just have really been inspired by this conversation. I love that you didn't let your history and your generational past define you. And I think that's so important for people to not look and say, well, I'm in a box because this is what life dealt me. Just because my parents did this or didn't do that means I'm going to have more of the same. And so you've really made a decision to have a different outcome. And that's just a really cool thing to see and hear and witness. I love that you actually talked about being aware of your financial story and being aware of, okay, well, I think I'm doing pretty good because I'm not in debt. But wait a minute, is that the true measure? Mm. And still being curious. You mentioned curious, and I think it's so important that we stay curious and continue to say, wait, what else can I be doing? How is this serving me? Not just in the moment. And the thing that I appreciate, and I think it's so important to make this distinction, you talked about being wealthy or being able to spend a million dollars. And it's funny because I have family members that will sometimes say to me, oh, well, you're a millionaire. You can afford everything. And I'll say, well, I might have a million dollars. That doesn't mean I have a million dollars liquid cash that I want to blow on a regular basis,
1: because right. then I would not
0: have a million dollars. And I think it's so important for people to understand between being rich and having wealth, wealth of time, having that work option, not that we want to sit around and do nothing, but we have the ability to say, that doesn't work for me, or I don't want to work here, is such an important component. And it's an inspiring story for me that you've decided to go out and pay it forward, help other people and not be limited to saying, well, wait, I didn't get everything perfectly handed down to me, therefore I can't pay it forward. But you said, hey, (laughs) this is who I am, and I have some great information, and I'm going to share it, and I'm going to empower other people, other women, women of color, and I'm going to represent, even though I'm an introvert, even though these things may not come easy, I'm going to show up and pay it forward. So I just feel really appreciative that you took the time today and shared your story because it is an inspiring story and one that a lot of people would have said, that's too much work. I think I'm just going to go buy a handbag and you actually (laughs) said, I'm going to do all that and then I'm going to get the handbag because I've taken care of all the things I need to take care of. So thank you so much. Where can people find you online and social media?
1: Yeah, thank you so much for having me. You can find me at financiallythriving.com. There is a free gift that I want to give to your listeners. If you just go to financiallythriving.com forward slash free gift, there's a roadmap to financial wellness. One of the pieces that we talked about is sort of like that relationship with money, our money mindset. And there's some really interesting questions in there because I think so many times we just think that it's all about the math and it's really mindset over the math, right? (laughs) If it was just about the math, It would be easy, right? It would be. (laughs) But it's so much more than that. So if anybody wants to check that out, I think it can really sort of help you discover your relationship with money for sure.
0: That is so awesome. Well, Wally, again, it's been so amazing. I'm sorry we won't see you at FinCon. FinCon's coming up and I love going to FinCon every year, but hopefully we'll catch you at the next one. Just thank you so much and love to stay in touch.
1: All right, thank you for having me, Bob. Have a good one.
0: We hope you enjoyed this episode. Did you learn something new about your relationship to money today? Maybe you have a friend who has some financial blocks or beliefs that are holding them back. Please share this podcast so they too can get off the roller coaster ride of financial fears and journey towards financial freedom. To learn how to have a healthy relationship with money, visit themoneynerve.com. That's nerve, not nerd. We'll be back next week with another perspective on money and the emotions that bind us.